Well, hey, everybody. It's a Minor Detail Radio podcast. My name is Ryan Miner, and you can find me at a... My wife is laughing at me in the kitchen. I don't know why. Why are you laughing? Why are you laughing? My beautiful wife is standing here cracking her ass up, and I don't know why. My name is Ryan Miner. I host a Minor Detail Radio podcast. My wife is still laughing at me. You can find me on the web at a minordetail.com. Happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. Um, and tonight I have a special person who's coming on. He's running for Montgomery County Executive. He's my friend, and his name is George Leventhal. He's a Montgomery County Councilman, and he's joining me now. George, welcome to the show. Hello, Ryan. How's it going? Happy Father's Day. Hey. You too, George. I know you You have two of your own, and one is uh, graduated, and I think I saw on Facebook today, one of your sons voted, what, for the first time today? That's correct. Yeah, that was my Father's Day gift. My 19-year-old son voted for me for county executive. I think he did. County. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I'm reasonably <laughs> <Yeah>. certain. <laughs> You know, unless he was inspired by some, you know, another candidate at the last minute. No, I'm sure he voted for you. Um, well, George, it's a pleasure to have you. Thanks for doing this. I know you're a busy man. What, nine days to go? Is that about right? Yeah, it's a it's a long slog, man. I've been at this for a year and a half. Yes, you have. I remember when you first decided to run for this office, and I'm like, man, you're that's, that's just such a huge endeavor to take on, to run for – a county that has over a million people, bigger than some U.S. states, um, mm-hmm. and you've been doing this, and you've been in elected politics for a while. But first off, thanks for doing this on Father's Day, um, and I'm just I'm glad to have you. Um, I I think you're a tremendous uh, person, a stand-up guy, and someone who's served this community for all the right reasons. And I remember when I first moved to Montgomery County, and I was doing this show. I had heard George Leventhal's name. Everyone said, you got to get George to come on and talk about these issues. And you and I had these great conversations about some policy issues. And every time I contacted you, you said, sure, I would love to come on. And so I just want to say thank you for doing that because we, I've been doing this for three years now. And you have been a, one of my most frequent guests. <laughs> well, I enjoy your style, Ryan. You're very fair and, um, you know, you've just got a nice, um, nice way about you. You know, and people yeah. like you. You're just easy, easy to talk <laughs> to, and um, you just have a uh, cheerful, cheerful demeanor. Well, I appreciate that. So let's talk about you tonight, um, George. You've been, you know, I'm reading your website, which is georgelevenfall.com, and if you go to your website, there's a tab at the very top that says "Meet George." You've dedicated your life and career to public service and to progressive ideals. But let's start. Let's start at the very beginning. Um, where where did where did you grow up? Well, mostly I grew up in Montgomery County. My um, parents met. My parents were both physicians. Um, uh, mom's no longer with us. Uh, Dad, I just had dinner with. We we just went out for Father's Day dinner. He's living in Rockville now. But they they met at Mass General Hospital in Boston. Um, they were both uh, residents there, and then things happened pretty quickly with them. They got married in February of 1962 and I was born in November of 1962 and then in 1964 uh, they both got jobs at NIH so I moved to Montgomery County when I was a year and a half old I don't remember living in Boston and um, then we lived in Montgomery County all through the 1960s and most of the 1970s 
Then my mom got a job at Johns Hopkins in Baltimore. She founded the Pediatric Oncology Center. Um, she was the first director. And so wow. we moved out to Howard County just when I was starting high school. So when I tell people I grew up in Montgomery County, the first question they always ask is, well, where'd you go to high school? And I went to high school at Oakland Mills High School in Howard County. But I lived there for four years in high school and then went away to college at the University of California, Berkeley. And after graduating college, I came back here and I've lived in Tacoma Park now for um, more than 32 years. I moved into Tacoma Park in 1985. You know, I, when I first, I didn't know what, to be honest with you, and this is going to sound really bad, but we're honest on this show. I didn't even know where Tacoma Park was when I first moved to Montgomery County. And sure. I was like, I didn't, I didn't know where grew, a lot of places. You grew up in Hagerstown, right? I grew up in Hagerstown. I lived yeah. there until, um, and you know, I went to high school there and then mm-hmm. went to Pittsburgh for a bit and then came back um, and then lived in D.C., kind of lived all over the place. And then ultimately I met my wonderful wife and mm-hmm. we set up shop and she was here in Montgomery County. And she said, well, I'm not moving to Hagerstown, so you can forget that. And I said, okay, done deal. Um, came, came down here and ever since have been uh, living here in North Potomac. We love it. We're blessed. We have great schools. Our two kids are entering a new phase in their education pathway in Montgomery County Public Schools. One is going into sixth grade. Another is going into Wooten High School next, uh, well, in the fall. So, you know, that's it. we're part of the community in every way possible. But when I first moved here, George, I wasn't too familiar with anything really south of Rockville. And then I started <laughs> discovering all these different wonderful places, Bethesda, North Potomac, um, Germantown. Um, and then, of course, I finally made my way down into Tacoma Park, and it's and it's really a unique place to live, I'm, I'm sure. Um, and, you know, it's where I think the majority of the Montgomery County Council is concentrated. Is that correct? Well, no, it's not the majority. There are three – so we have nine members on the county council, and three of us happen to live in Tacoma Park. That's a historic <laughs> anomaly that won't be repeated. I, I understand why people in the upcounty think it's strange that so many of us live in Tacoma Park, but um, of the three of us, two of us – are not running again for the council. So, um, you know, that's not likely to happen again. Well, but, um, and so there's three of us who live here. And then Tom Hucker, who represents this district lives, um, in Silver Spring, not, not far away, but it's not Tacoma Park. Yeah. Well, I, I think, in the, I think Tacoma Park is a unique place. Um, there's, that is the, the, the core of where I think pr- progressive ideas derive from, and that's okay. And, I will say, and I want everybody to know this, that, um, you know, in all fairness, just so we're all clear, that I'm on record as supporting you, okay? I've given you money. My lovely wife loves you to death. Your sign is sitting in our front yard. Just there's no ambiguity. I'm supporting you for Montgomery County Executive. And well, I that's appreciate not gonna it, win- and, you and you and Kim are both making a wise choice. Well, I think so, and I, I and I and I'm I'm truly honored to 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 do this interview because from the second I met you, I knew that there was this passion to help people and for public service. And just recently, George, I want to mention that um, you mentioned on your website, lifelong learning, December 2007, you accomplished an incredible, incredible feat. You earned your uh, your PhD from the University of Maryland. 
public school or the school of public policy. And your dissertation was on the stubborn persistence of homelessness, an issue right. that you know very well here in Montgomery County. What was that like going through your PhD program? Sure. So it was um, December of 2017, just last fall. I defended my dissertation and um, I got a PhD. I was I'm 55 years old, so. So, you know, I think I, there were times, honestly, where it was so hard, especially st- statistics doesn't come easy to me. And there were a couple of times where I said, well, why do I need this? I'm just going to give up. But what it really, uh, what made me stick with it was thinking about my sons, that, you know, they, they really needed to know that their dad stuck with something through the end of it. And, um, you know, had I quit, I think that would have sent my children the wrong message. And it worked out great. I mean, I, it um, what I was able to do, you have to take eight courses and then five comprehensive exams. And because I was on the county council the whole time, I was only able to do one of those each semester, either one course or take one study and take one comprehensive exam. So, look, it took me 10 years, but um, other people have taken longer than that to get their doctorate. So, well, congratulations. So Congratulations, Dr. Leventhal. That is a Thank that you. is an extraordinarily ac- accomplishment that not too many people um, reach in their lives. Um, my goal someday as well, um, but it is just something that you should be very proud of, and I am sure that your family is too. Um, let's talk about some of your work um, prior to the Montgomery County Council. You were first elected in 2002, and let's talk about what you've done before that. I know that you worked for U.S. Senator Barbara Mikulski, the great Barbara Mikulski. Let's talk about that experience. And um, I did. how did you? Nice. Yeah, how did you? How did you get that job? And did you always know that you wanted to serve um, in a, you know, in the capacity of public policy? Right. Well, you know, in college, I I did a lot of related work. I I did some uh, journalism in college. I wrote. For the campus newspaper and was an editor at the campus newspaper, The Daily Californian. And I did some freelancing for other newspapers in the area, the San Francisco Examiner and the San Francisco Bay Guardian. And then what I was writing about were the politics of the city of Berkeley. Um, so then I became friendly with people who were in local office in Berkeley who were on the city council. And um, there was this fellow who had been a community activist. I encouraged him to run for city council. I said, you know, I shouldn't tell you this because I'm a reporter and I ought to be objective, but there's this open seat and I think you'd be a great candidate. I'm just chatting with you. And he said, well, I wouldn't know how to do that. Why don't you run my campaign? So I did. So I sort of transitioned in college away from being a journalist to being a political operative and we got him elected. And then so in my junior and senior years of college, I was an aide in Berkeley City Hall. And then I ended up running other folks' campaigns and getting other people elected to the Berkeley City Council. And then um, it was very exciting. I got a real adrenaline rush back then. I I used to enjoy campaigning when I was young and had more (laughs) stamina than I have now. And and then I was out of a job, you know, so I had this job as a campaign coordinator at the end of college. And we swept the whole Berkeley City Council, all the candidates I was working for all won. And then comes the day after the election, first week of November, and I didn't have a job. So... I had developed these skills. I knew how to run campaigns. I knew how to do constituent service. I knew how to write speeches. I knew how to draft memoranda. And then I had to earn a living. You know, I was out of college. So I thought that working on Capitol Hill would make a lot of sense. I thought that those skills would fit with that. And so I came back east and um, moved into, lived in D.C. for a very short period of time and kind of went from job to job, as people do when they're just out of college. 
ultimately found myself working in Annapolis um, for a member of the state legislature and then running her campaign, uh, her first campaign for the state Senate, which was successful. And I had made some contacts along the way. So finally, I did get a job uh, working in the U.S. Senate. And my first job was as a, a very you know, entry-level job, a research assistant on the Senate Finance Committee staff. And I did that for three years. And just meeting people, getting to know people. I'd worked in Annapolis. I, you know, I'm a Marylander, and I'd always been interested in working for a member of the Maryland delegation. So a very good friend of mine told me that there was an opening for a legislative assistant, Senator Mikulski. And so now, um, let's see, I was uh, quite a few, you know, a few years out of college now. I worked for her mm. from 1990 to 1995. So I was six years out of college when I got the job with Senator Mikulski. And um, three years as her legislative assistant, two years as her legislative director, uh, bringing home hundreds of millions of dollars in federal appropriations back when they used to do earmarks. And that was sort of her specialty. She was a great appropriator. And I did that for her. I was her staff member on appropriations. And then I managed her Senate uh, legislative staff and helped her with floor strategy. Um, And working for her was a fantastic experience. I mean, it was more intense than any graduate school course you could possibly take in political science. She's brilliant. Um, inspirational. She cares deeply about helping people. I identify heavily with her and and her goals in public office, and I I learned a ton. It was five very focused and intense years, Um, and and, uh, we got a lot done for the people of Maryland. We passed a a lot of good laws and and brought home, as I say, hundreds of millions of federal dollars for D.C. Metro, for the C&O Canal, for FDA consolidation, for federal facilities throughout the state. I uh, got to know Western Maryland pretty well. We we did um, a lot of uh, Army Corps of Engineers projects yeah. uh, along the Potomac River and a lot of National Park Service projects along the Ceno Canal. So, you know, I got to know Washington County um, in particular. Uh, we did the rewatering of the Ceno Canal at Hancock and Williamsport. And, you know, I got to know little corners of the state that otherwise I never would have known. But we also did a lot here in Montgomery County. So, yeah. um, meanwhile, I was starting to, you know, I, I had already run a campaign for a uh, state senator from Silver Spring, and I then was a precinct official. So I sort of, while I was working for Senator Mikulski, I stayed involved in the Montgomery County Democratic Party. And um, then towards the end of my time with the senator, I got elected to the Democratic Central Committee. So that's a volunteer job, but it's it can be very demanding. Um, sure. So sure. anyway, I just from... kind of worked my way up through the Democratic Party structure and um, – I spent five years as chairman of the Montgomery County Democratic Central Committee after I'd left Senator Mikulski's staff from 1996 to 2001. And then then sort of a recurring theme is when Ike Leggett moved on, (laughs) I applied for that opening that he left behind. So um, Ike had served four terms on the county council, and he did not run again in 2002, so that was an open seat. And I had been on the Central Committee for several years as a chairman, and so I knew a lot of people throughout the county, and um, Senator Mikulski endorsed me in my first race for county council, and she was a big help. And so I got elected to the county council in 2002, and now 16 years later, that's the longest job I've ever had. I've been, been on the county council, um, you know, and helped a lot of people and passed a lot of legislation. And, uh, you know, it's been a great experience to serve the people of Montgomery County. We've provided tens of thousands of people with access to health care who otherwise wouldn't have had it, and we've housed um, hundreds and hundreds of people who were homeless and um, passed a lot of important legislation to improve people's lives and give them access to jobs and prosperity and opportunity. So, um, you know, I'm very proud of the work that I've done. And now I'm you not. A, yeah, go ahead. 
Well, now, yeah, now you're seeking the, the now executive. Now I'm seeking the job of Montgomery County Executive as Ike, as Ike moves into, you know, out of another phase of, of his career. He's left an opening, and I'm applying for that job. Well, I, I certainly think that there's no doubt in my mind that you are extraordinarily qualified for the job. You know, Montgomery County, inside and out, you have been elected to the the council at large. I mean, you have to go – that's – that's a lot of work. You know, the county upside and down and sideways, squareways. You have to go to all portions of this large county and meet voters, talk to people, get to know, you know, all the areas. I, I don't envy that. I mean, it's, it's just a massive place to live. And some places, what, from the very tip of the county, from the western half to down to Tacoma, uh, Tacoma Park, it can take sometimes, what, 45 minutes or more to, to get there. It's a, oh, it's an hour. Place. It's an hour oh, from Tacoma it? Park to Clarksburg. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, um, so here you are. You're running for this seat. Tell me about um, – let me, let me ask you an oddball question. You've risen up through the ranks of the Democratic Party, and you're running for, you know, you're running for the executive seat. What, do you, what is your take, George, on candidates who have never been in elected office before – and, you know, they may come from, let's say, the business world or someplace else, and they decide to, to jump right into, you know, a big office. What, what is your take on that? Does, should people – are you in the camp of people who work their way up? I mean, obviously you are, but what is your perspective? Should people get involved in democratic politics, the central committee, or some, some other form before they jump into a big office? Or is it okay to, to immediately run for office from out of nowhere? You're not thinking of anyone in particular, are you? No, I'm just I'm speaking this, this to generalities. This is a hypothetical question. Okay. Sure. Yeah. Um, what I will say about this race for county executive is that it does make me sad that this was supposed to be the year where we really tried to limit spending in the local races. We are trying for the first time ever an experiment in democracy, the public campaign finance system whose purpose was, number one, to take special interest money out of local politics, but number two, to limit overall spending. And instead, um, we've had a spending arms race. There's already been more spending in this race for county executive by far than ever in the history of Montgomery County, overwhelmingly by one person. And that makes me sad because it wasn't supposed to be this way. Um, and I don't know what it means for the future, um, I, I do believe that ordinary grassroots citizens ought to be able to participate and be heard. And I don't think you ought to have to be a millionaire to serve in public office or a multi, multi, multi-millionaire. Um, and yet uh, it, it does disturb me that we seem to now be headed towards a trend of multi, multi-millionaires um, potentially dominating county politics for a long time to come. And I, I, don't, think, uh, I don't think that's in the public interest generally. I, I don't, I'm, there's nothing wrong with being wealthy. Um, but, you know, if, if, uh, if the candidate who has spent by far the most money had decided to use the public campaign finance system and had shown the kind of broad community support, hundreds and hundreds, I've had nearly 1,300 people invest in my campaign. And every part of the county, every neighborhood in this county, um, from Parksburg to Germantown to Almy to um, Wheaton to Silver Spring to Bethesda to Chevy Chase. Um, so if the wealthy candidate had shown that kind of community support, I don't think there would be the same kind of concern if he, if he was participating in the public campaign finance system as most of us have. 
But when there's really only one donor, um, it does make you wonder uh, what sort of community support does he have. And I guess we'll find out on election day. Well, but if, I, you just, if you just pummel the voters again and again and again and again with advertising that you pay for yourself, um, it, it does raise a concern about you know whether that's really broad-based grassroots support or instead whether it's kind of a, a vanity effort by one guy, one very, very wealthy guy. And he's not the only very, very wealthy guy who, um, you know, is seeking to um, seeking to kind of dominate, you know, Montgomery County politics. And we'll see. You know, we'll see how the voters respond. The election's coming up really soon. I, I don't, I don't know how any of this is going to turn out. And you would be crazy to say everybody's trying to place bets on this extraordinarily large at-large field, which has 33 candidates. It's Unbelievable, but let's talk about why there that, are. That's not the field I'm in, of course. Let's be clear. I right. mean, the, the field you're talking about is for council at large, which is the seat that's that correct. I'm leaving. Right. right, right. So I'm in a field of six Democrats. But let's let's which talk also, about the der- which is also larger than we've ever had in, in the county before. Let's talk about the derivative of that and the reason why so many candidates are coming out. One reason is term limits, and the second reason I believe is public financing. You are using public financing in your campaign, and you have, like you said, you have over a thousand donors, which means that mm-hmm. you have to go out into the community, and the most anyone can donate to you, one person, is one hundred and fifty dollars, and that one hundred and fifty dollars, of course, turns into what? If somebody uh, donates, seven hundred fifty. There's a six hundred dollar match, so it's right. a total. You get the total that the campaign receives. For county executive is six, excuse me, seven hundred and fifty dollars. One of my most common questions to candidates is, how is the system working for in general, and how is the system, George, working for you, the public financing system? I think we won't know until June twenty sixth. Um, I think if a very wealthy self funder um, is able to dominate the field with his own personal spending, then I think. Most people, including me, will assess that the experiment in public campaign finance, at least at the county executive level, was not successful. So we'll find out. I, mean, I, I can't. It's hard. I can't assess it till it's done. Yeah, I mean, and that's and that's fair. But let me ask you about term limits. Last two years ago, term limits passed in Montgomery County by oh, well over fifty percent. I believe it was somewhere around. I think it was over sixty percent. Mm-hmm. Um, and Robin Ficker who is the sole Republican candidate running on the Republican side, who will go on in November to lose. Um, He went out and did this ballot initiative and was um, successful. And some people viewed the ballot initiative as um, (laughs) the source of it was skeptical, but nonetheless, it was still passed. And a a lot of Montgomery County folks, uh, they went out and, uh, you know, they, they supported that, and I know you were sure. against that. In fact, I went to Denison's Brewery, uh, Jolie's Brewery down in um, Silver Spring, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, here we are. And so you, what do you make of this term limits? People were, you know, people were either really for it or really against it, and uh, a lot of the incumbents, they didn't want term limits. I'm, look, I'm, I'm not sure where I stand, but I kind of feel like I sh- don't know if artificial term limits is something that – I can support. I mean, I get it, but I, I, I like to make 
I like to think that voters should be in charge of who they want to be their elected officials. I don't know, George. What say you? Well, in 2016, Donald Trump was running for president, and I was concerned about Trumpism, about the uncouth, unkind victimization of minorities themes of the Trump campaign. And there was a uh, right-wing populism, um, you know, sort of sweeping through America. And um, I was honestly, my major concern about a three-term, 12-year limit was that it would elevate Robin Ficker's credibility um, and give him, you know, a platform that might, um, you know, make him a serious contender. He's not, I, look, I mean, people can judge for themselves, but, um, uh, my, you know, I, I thought that if term limits was to pass, it would elevate Robin Ficker's profile at a time when nobody believed that Trump would steamroll his way through to the Republican nomination which he got, and then no one believed, not no one, but, you know, overwhelmingly the pollsters and the, the, you know, observers didn't think that he could ever win the Electoral College, and he did. Um, So when you say that, you know, Robin Picker's on his way to defeat in November, um, whoever is the Democratic Party's nominee can't just go to sleep. You know, we've had um, races. I think, you know, my friend Anthony Brown took for granted that having won the party's nomination, he would for sure win in November and he didn't work as he'll admit as much. He didn't work as hard as he should have. Democrats can't take anything for granted these days. As far as the basic structure of term limits, you know, three terms, 12 years, it's a long time. I mean, it was hard to get really um, exercised against it. Um, I do think it's changed the shape of the field somewhat. Although Ike said that he was not planning to run for a fourth term as executive regardless. And mm-hmm. so, you know, you can engage in all kinds of speculation about what if term limits had not passed, would I have ended up running anyway? If he didn't run, would the three council members have run anyway? Would, would council member Florine have retired? I mean, you know, so now you've got four open and that's attracted a huge swarm of candidates. Um, and I think, you know, it's not as bad as I thought it might be for one, you know, I voted today. And um, I thought real hard. I got to know the candidates. I did my research, and I selected, you know, four at-large council members to vote for. And um, not all of the candidates have qualified for public financing, and so not all of the candidates are really able to communicate effectively with the voters. And so you've got – I don't have the precise number, and I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, but, you know, I'd say no more than 13 or 14 really serious, credible candidates for the four slots. And, I agree. and that's manageable. You know, that's manageable. Yeah. So it hasn't I mean, turned I out to be that overwhelming. So I, I'm, I'm sanguine now about term limits. You know, when the Bethesda magazine interviewed me for a profile, they said, well, you were an opponent of term limits. And you said it was, uh, you know, that Brexit was a dumb protest gesture, just like term limits. And, you know, would you seek to overturn term limits? And I said, no. I mean, the voters have spoken. It's fine. I, you know, three terms. It is what it is. Um, mm-hmm. I've done four terms. I'm proud of the work that I did. I thought my fourth term was especially productive and successful, but if council members in the future can only serve three consecutive terms, the county will survive. I don't think it's, I don't think it's a, a big tragedy. And I don't think Robin Ficker has gained all that much traction, honestly. I, Robin Ficker has been running since longer than I have been alive, and he's been successful once. So, you know, you and I are probably – I'm not very good at math, but, I, I mean, if we do the math um, – yeah, it, it, it's not so good. And everybody in Montgomery County or most people, I would think, know who Robin Ficker is, understand what he's all about. 
And whether or not he means well, that's for voters to judge. And I just happen to think that Mr. Ficker has run for every office imaginable, and it just hasn't worked out for a reason. And whether he's a gadfly, that's like I said, that's been a accusation. But nonetheless, um, in the era of Donald Trump, my God, anything can happen. So, you know, well, that was uh, my concern, as I say, I think, you know, I was so stunned and shocked by the Trump phenomenon that my concern was that passing term limits would uh, somehow elevate Robin Ficker's credibility. I, I've spent a lot of time with Robin over the last several months. A lot of the candidate forums that we attend, sure. he, he participates in. And, um, uh, you know, I, I don't want to be disrespectful to anybody, but Montgomery County would not be well served if he was county executive. <laughs> but I, I think, think you, can, you just listen to him and you can kind of figure that out. There's circular yeah. logic and he says things that don't make sense. And, you know, so. I don't know how you do it when you're up on stage or sitting in a large room or a small room for that matter. And you, you have to sit next and everybody, you know, Robin's usually sitting somewhere in the middle it's, or so it seems. And if he's not invited, he makes a spectacle of it. But if he is invited, well, it's usually alphabetical. Uh, so we, yeah. you know, like I spent a lot of time sitting next to Rose Krasnow now because she's K and I'm L. <laughs> it's, almost, right. it's almost always, they almost always see this alphabetical. Not every aren't you the, aren't you the last person on the ballot? Last on the ballot, last in the alphabet. But yeah. you know, wow. people will work their way down to the sixth name because, you know, I, I I wouldn't be running if I didn't think that I had the best understanding of the, the broad demographics of this county and a bright vision for our future. So I do hope folks will select me. Well, I've noticed in Montgomery County that voters are acutely attuned into this race, and I was down in Chevy Chase yesterday, and. It, it just seems like this community, our, in Montgomery County, that is, they have a, an above-average understanding of complex issues. Never before have I seen so many tuned-in citizens than in Montgomery County, Maryland, and I mean that. I, people know issues front, backwards, forward, sideways, and it's unbelievable how many smart people live uh, – in, in Montgomery County and where, where you are and where, you know, Chevy Chase up here to North Potomac, people know what's going on. They know the candidates, they know their personalities. And, you know, in the six person race, a lot of people know you and George, one of the criticisms of you and, and personally I've never seen this is that you, you've somehow got this, like people have said, well, George Leventhal is the smartest guy running and we would vote for him. But it's sometimes followed by a but, but we're concerned that he has this like temperament issue. George, I've never mm-hmm. seen this before. Why is that a fair yeah. criticism for people to, to to ping you on? It's hard for me to assess, Ryan. Um, you know, if anyone's had a bad experience with me, I'm sorry. Um, I'm, you know, as I say, my role model in politics is Senator Barbara Mikulski, and she got an enormous amount accomplished for the state of Maryland and the people of Maryland. She wasn't always warm and fuzzy. Um, I am certainly working, uh, you know, you, you talked about lifelong learning. I think we're always trying to do better. We're always trying to be more empathetic and be a better listener. If folks have had a unhappy experience with me, I'm sorry. I've been in public life for a long, long time. I was elected twice to the democratic central committee, elected four times to the Montgomery County council. I've cast hundreds and hundreds of votes. Sometimes people just don't agree with the position that I've taken. And, um, and then, you know, will say, well, I just don't like him because, you know, he didn't agree with me. Um, I, I don't really know. You know, some of it I think is just a whispering campaign by my um, 
by competing candidates. Um, I've certainly seen other council members lose their cool, blow their stack, uh, be abrupt, be rude sometimes, and um, but my perception may not be the very best. I mean, if other people have a different perception of me than my own perception, then that's to be expected. I'm, I, you know, I try to learn from criticism. Um, I've got a good sense of humor. I have a lot oh my of God. friends. I have a, you know, I have a family who loves me. And uh, if some folks uh, find that my personality is not to their liking, I'm, I, I'm, I'm trying to absorb that criticism. But uh, you know, I, George, I, I, I think... I, I've seen other elected officials, many, many, many other elected officials, lose their well... cool, use profanity, tell people <laughs> off. Um, I don't think that my demeanor is substantially worse than other uh, people in public life who I've worked with. However, uh, I'm aware that this is a wrap on me, and I'm aware that other candidates are seeking to kind of spread that, uh, as I say, whispering campaign about me, and um, we'll see what the voters decide. I have no idea what's going to happen on June 26th. I, I think it's a wide-open race for county executive. I, I don't think well, it's at all. And, um, no, n- nobody you know, thinks I, that. I, I hope you know, I hope that the voters who meet me like me. I'm, I'm cheerful and friendly and energetic and uh, working my heart out to earn their confidence, and, and uh, I hope to be successful. Well, and, and let me say this. My experience with you has been nothing but positive, overwhelmingly positive. You have uh, – you've always been encouraging to me. You have been n- nothing short of a, you know, a great friend, and I, I got to tell you, this perception, whatever it is, there's a sense in politics that people are inauthentic. They can never make that case about you. Never. You will always tell people where you stand, and no one can ever say they don't know where they stand with you. And you may disagree with them, and you have a way to explain to people that if you do disagree with them, you, you base it in policy. It's not personal. And if you're passionate, then you're passionate. I think it's desperately needed in politics that people find someone's authenticity like yourself – passionate and and people find that refreshing i do i'm i'm tired of politicians who are too reserved or always on their game i i have to see some edginess out of people and that's the kind of guy i am that's the kind of person that i would want to run my county and somebody who can stand up and be a real person a real human being and my experience my wife's experience i mean you, you talk about your biggest fan, you know, she's upstairs right now. My God, she said, you know, the reason why, I, you know, I disagree with George on some of these issues, but I got to tell you, he's one of the most authentic politicians that I've ever experienced in my lifetime. That's desperately missing in our culture. And, you know, I hate to say it, but, you know, people saw that in Donald Trump. I'm not in any way comparing you to Donald Trump because that would be a faulty comparison, but there was a certain amount of authenticity that you can make the case that, well, he spoke his mind and you do too, George. And that's, I think that's a, a good thing, but I've never seen you be impolite. I've never seen you be unkind or, you know, you've never lashed out at anybody. You put your position on the table and that's just who you are. It's just who you well, are. Well, there is, there is an example. I, I, I'm well aware of it and everyone else is too, where I lost my cool. Um, I was impatient. Um, we were not able to uh, use our computer and keep track of our calendar. And I was uh, missing appointments and constituents were disappointed. And we had a, session with the director of technology services and the director of management and budget. And I was um, impatient and, um, you know, I raised my voice and it was caught on video and my uh, competitors have, uh, and some folks who don't like me and support other candidates have played that video again and again. Well, as I say, 
every council member that I've worked with, every single one, has at some point been sharp or annoyed or grumpy. Uh, there just isn't a video of it that keeps getting replayed and replayed and replayed. So I regret that day. If I could live that day over again, I certainly would have modulated my tone. And, you know, I, I, I'm pretty successful in my career, and I'm pretty successful at speaking with courtesy and with a modulated tone. And um, that was not my best day. So if you, you know, if you have your one of your days that wasn't your best captured on video and people run it again and again and again and again, I, I don't wish that experience on anyone. I'm sorry for that day. Um, well, and you know, okay. you, you, I don't want to be compared to Donald Trump. I think, I, I think it is useful to remember that a lot of people in public life um, have uh, sometimes gotten tired, have sometimes said things they regret, have sometimes lost their temper. I don't think I'm unique in, in, in any way. Um, I, I, I'm not trying to um, elevate myself unduly, but um, one of the great inspirations uh, for me in democratic politics, and I think for everybody in democratic politics, was Robert Kennedy. And, um, you know, he was called ruthless. He was called mean. I mean, he had mm -hmm. a reputation for really being, really being unkind and sharp. And there's lots of stories about him, you know, getting into um, physical fights, uh, uh, one in particular where he uh, broke a beer bottle over somebody's head. So, you know, I don't mean to, I, I'm not, I, it's, it's inapt for me to say that I'm like him, but I certainly was inspired by him. And um, he late in his life rose above the reputation he had as a young politician to become a person of great depth and great compassion. So um, anyway, I, you know, have, have I ever lost, you know, I was quoted in the Washington Post that have I, if, if the question is, have I ever lost my temper? Sure, I have. I, I don't know anyone who hasn't. Uh, but I, I like working with people. I've been did many times. I've been elected twice by my colleagues to preside over the council as its president. And um, I know that I can be effective as county executive. I know that I can work with a wide range of people, rich and poor, young and old, from every demographic group in this county and in other counties. I know that I can build coalitions in Annapolis with leaders of other counties. I know I can work well with our delegation in Annapolis, with our school board, with the other council members, um, I'm, I'm very, very confident that I can do this job in a way that, you know, I can bring people together and marshal the political forces to achieve real change and, and real benefits for Montgomery County. I, I agree. I, I think that you're a consensus builder. You have uh, always been willing to work with people, even with whom you vehemently have disagreed with, and that has shown over the years. And I've watched many of the council meetings, and I, I have seen that personally. Um, you know, George, the, the makeup of this race, it's interesting. Some of your colleagues are running, Mark Elrich, Roger Berliner, and then Bill Frick, who's the state delegate, and David Blair, who is a businessman, um, first-time candidate, and then Rose Kras, now a former mayor of Rockville. You, I mean, there's some, there's some interesting competition here. I mean, there's, there's, <laughs> we're certainly not lacking for a, in variety. And so, you know, here we are. And it's a few days before the uh, June 26th when it all goes down and we're early voting. And most people who are listening, I can tell you, they know the issues. They know, they know the issues. We all know these big issues. But tonight what I really want to pull out and extrapolate is people often vote, too, on personality. You know, they say, well, I like George's position on affordable housing. I believe that his transportation plan is great and his position on Amazon is something that is aligned with my values. But oftentimes, of course, people say, 
you know, is he somebody who will be a credible representative and a credible leader? And your years on the council clearly demonstrates that you would be. So, you know, aside from all of that, what do, what's the hook with the candidacy? What do you want? What do you want to leave people with tonight that just completely separates you from everybody else? What is that? You know, two or three policy issues that just makes you head and shoulders better than your opponents. If you look at my record and the accomplishments of which I'm proudest, they all have to do with helping people, helping those people who most need a government on their side, people with disabilities, the elderly, people without health insurance, people without people who are not born with great advantages and great inherited wealth. Um, we were successful in 2015 in identifying housing for every veteran of the United States Armed Forces who we could find in Montgomery County. And we're very and, – and that was – I don't want to say entirely because everything is a group effort. I mean, we worked – we pulled together a multi-agency effort. For the first time, we had um, a body that included the Housing Opportunities Commission, our Public Housing Authority, the Department of Housing, the Department of Health and Human Services, the school system, the municipalities, the religious community, the business community – and, and I was deeply involved in pulling that together um, based in, in, to some extent, in the academic research I was doing and the structures that other uh, jurisdictions had pulled together. And then I, um, through the campaign called the 100,000 Homes Campaign, that leadership structure, which was successful in housing every homeless veteran in Montgomery County, we institutionalized it, and I enacted the legislation creating the Interagency Commission on Homelessness, which is now spearheading the effort to house every chronically homeless individual. We've housed more than 350 chronically homeless individuals in Montgomery County over the course of the last year. These are people who had been without any place to live for more than a year, who had a disability, or who had had multiple episodes of homelessness adding up to more than a year, and with a disability. And these are the most needy people, by definition, that you can find. These are people with no roof over the head. These people sleeping on the street, sleeping in a metro station, sleeping in the woods, um, I talk a lot about homelessness in part because it is the most vivid example of people who really need a government on their side, but also because we've achieved great success in implementing innovative service delivery methods and achieving big goals. I mean, ending veterans' homelessness was a big goal. We're one of about 54 communities around the United States that's achieved that. And if we achieve the next big goal of uh, housing every chronically homeless individual, we'll only be the third county in the entire United States to achieve that. And the first large metropolitan county. So, so within existing law, within our charter, using the agencies as they are, we can still achieve big things uh, and fulfill big promises. And so it's not only about homelessness, but homelessness is the example of an effort that I was deeply involved in, appropriating the money, making sure that above and beyond the federal uh, housing vouchers that we provided, just enough county housing vouchers to achieve our big goal, working in a multi-agency, public-private partnership, um, we achieve these big goals, and I think that's emblematic of the kinds of things that we can do uh, if, I, if I get the chance to be, to be county executive. So, um, so out of a deep commitment to helping people, out of a, a deep concern about equity and social justice, um, I also understand that you have to have the resources. And so in order to have the resources, of course we have to attract jobs. Of course we have to attract investment. Of course we have to grow the tax base. But what I'm seeing is that you have um, three candidates for this office who are on the county council now, and then you have three candidates for this office who are not and who are seeking to paint a picture that the county is just 
a mess. They've all gone horribly astray. That everything is wrong. Um, and you know, I, is that I joke, incorrect? Is, is that a wrong perception for voters to look at? Because it's, well, some it's, of the same candidates mess, who right? describe some of the same candidates who describe the county as all wrong and completely astray. If you ask them, what do you think of Ike Leggett? They say, oh, he's tremendous. I want to continue his legacy. So that's a neat trick that we want complete change. We want everything to go in a different direction, and they want to continue Ike Leggett's legacy. That's a neat trick. And the reality is that Ike's very popular because we have good government here, and we provide excellent services here. And although the school system isn't um, equally as good for all students, it's still very, very good. And there's many, many things to celebrate about uh, the state of the economy in Montgomery County and certainly the, the quality of the services that the county government provides. But yes, so I think I understand that balance. I understand that the business community feels that it's being held back by, uh, you know, too much paperwork, too much bureaucracy, too many requirements, too many taxes. I hear that. I understand that. But at the same time, I'm a progressive for progress. I want government to achieve big things and particularly to help people, to improve the quality of people's day-to-day lives, especially those who, but for the involvement of government, could not possibly enjoy a high quality of life on their own. People with disabilities, they need a government on their side. People who have, um, you know, been sleeping on the street for a long period of time, they can't make it on their own. They need a government on their side. People who are elderly and don't have family to look after them, no one's going to look after them but the government. And so, I'm a progressive for progress. I want to achieve big things for the people in Montgomery County. And that does mean economic development. That does mean attracting jobs and investment. That does mean increasing our tax base. But the heavy, ferocious critique of how bad things are here is not consistent with people's lived experience. Things are very nice here. This is a beautiful place to live. You said so earlier yourself. I mean, just, you know, look at our neighborhoods, look at our parks, look at our recreation facilities, look at the quality of our libraries, look at how safe our neighborhoods are and how, uh, you know, quick police response times are. We have a good government here. So, and, and here's what's really significant, I think, is if one of these candidates who is seeking to get elected by tearing down the county's reputation and constantly harping on how bad it is to do business here, if one of those candidates gets elected, they're going to have to own it. And people are listening when a prominent candidate says, we have a bad business climate, what do you think the business community thinks about that? That's not a really great way to get people to invest in your county. So I won't do that. I will be a cheerleader for Montgomery County. I will relentlessly market our county's excellent attributes, our superb workforce, our high quality of life, our excellent recreation facilities, um, because I want people to invest here, and I will reach out to business, and I will seek new investment. But you don't do that. By saying things like one of my competitors said the other day, we were at a small business candidate forum, and there were about 40 uh, people in the audience, and they were a range of small businesses, contractors, electricians, engineers. um, And one of my colleagues, and I know he was joking, um, not, not one of the council members. I know he was joking. He says, well, I'm surprised there's still this many people doing business in Montgomery County who haven't fled somewhere else. Well, that's irresponsible. You could start a panic. We don't want people to flee. And, and when someone who's in elected office and who presumably knows what he's talking about says, as far as I know, all the businesses are fleeing, even as a joke, it conveys a message to the business community, which is the wrong message. The message that I will convey is, we want you here. I'm available to you. 
I will return your phone call. I will come and visit you. I will get to know you. You will have a relationship with the next county executive. And you can pick up the phone and call me. And if you've got a problem, I understand how government works. I understand how to make it work for you and get results. And so I will seek to cut through the red tape. I can't guarantee what this is a quote from Senator Barbara Mikulski. I can't guarantee an outcome, but I can guarantee an effort. If you have an issue, give me a try to make it work for you. We want businesses here. We want them to thrive and prosper. George, one of your opponents, you, you, you mentioned the word irresponsible. One of your opponents equated gentrification with ethnic cleansing. And I just want to put this out on the table. In fact, I was the person there recording that, and it um, made it all over the place, and several media outlets used my video. And I'm talking about a, a comment that Mr. Alrich made, who is um, running for county executive, you know, one of your colleagues on the council, and was, I believe he was talking about the Purple Line, and he made this comment, and then he went back and clarified, and it, it, it just seems like there's a pattern of him making goofy comments and then coming back to clarify it. Oh, no, 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 I didn't say that. And it's, it's just something that's a noticeable pattern. I remember when I was sitting and talking to him, speaking to the Purple Line, and this wasn't off the record, but Mark Elwood said, I hate the Purple Line. I mean, he said this to me in, in, in front of, and I was shocked. And so I don't know if that's something that is just like – and I, I don't know if that's just an, an issue with him, but I, I found that to be very offensive because you know, ethnic cleansing is nothing to use in comparison to a project, uh, you know, a major infrastructure project. I mean I think people understand what he was saying, but it was still nonetheless, George. It was still very offensive, and you called it out right at that forum. Look, whoever is the next county executive, voters are going to have to have confidence that that individual chooses his or her words carefully because people are listening. The business community is listening. Amazon is listening. People who we want to invest and create prosperity are listening. And um, I think there have been reckless things said uh, not only by that gentleman but by other candidates as well. I think if you're spending millions of dollars trying to harm the reputation of our school system on television, that's not a good thing for our business climate. If you're spending millions of dollars of your own money saying that Montgomery County is a bad place to do business, that's precisely the opposite of what it's going to take to make Montgomery County a good place to do business. As far as the gentleman who you mentioned, the, my, my neighbor here in Tacoma Park, you're correct. He has a history of, of saying things that sound terrible and then trying to walk them back, but they're already on the record. Um, and there's a number of examples of that recently, and um, I hope voters will judge whether, uh, you know, whether that's an individual who has a steady hand, who you can have confidence will not repel investment. Because, look, it's not that our investment climate is so terrible. I don't think it is. It's not that our business climate is so awful. I don't think it is. It's just very simple. We want jobs and investment. Every community wants jobs and investment. That's a fundamental issue facing every local government. Everybody wants more jobs, more opportunity, more prosperity, and we certainly do. And you don't get that uh, by chasing business away, um, by making overheated comments about major infrastructure projects. Um, the issue of gentrification, I, I have a, a very different view um, than, than Mr. Elrich does. Mr. Elrich consistently opposes new housing because he 
plays to an audience that is resistant to change. Well, let me tell you, if you don't build new housing, the result is gentrification. This is a highly desirable place to live, right at the doorstep of Washington, D.C. Our economy is strong. People want to be here. And if you don't build more houses, then the price of existing housing will go up. It's very basic, supply and demand. So that if you have a consistent history of saying no to new housing, that is the recipe for gentrification, not the other way around. I agree. Uh, let's talk. Let's talk about one of your most notable accomplishments, George, and that is Montgomery Cares. What is it, and how has it helped Montgomery County citizens? Seventy thousand patient visits each year. Individuals with no other access to health insurance get to see a doctor. That's obviously in their best health interest. It's also in the best interest of our overall economy. It's certainly in the best interest of our hospitals um, because emergency rooms may not turn anyone away, but getting your care in the emergency room is the least effective and most expensive way of getting care. So that when we provide primary care, it contains costs throughout the healthcare delivery system. And that affects all of us because ultimately those of us who have private pay are paying higher premiums to make up for the bad debts that hospitals accumulate when people get their care in the emergency room and can't pay. Um, so there's, it's not only the morally correct thing to do, but it's the economically smart thing to do to provide access to basic primary care. We're out in the forefront of counties in the United States in doing that. Um, it costs uh, about $14 million a year. I think that's a wise expenditure. We would all pay more in higher health insurance premiums if the folks who got their primary care before conditions turned into, um, you know, emergency or catastrophic conditions, if they ended up uh, getting treated in the emergency room. So um, it's, it's a fundamentally smart thing to do. I'm very proud of it. It's my proudest accomplishment. And um, the great thing about it, too, is that the care is administered in the language of the patient in dozens of different languages. So language proficiency is a big theme of my campaign for county executive. That's what's going to make us economically competitive. We should not only be seeking jobs and investment here in the region and elsewhere in the United States, we should be globally competitive. We should be seeking investment from countries around the world and marketing ourselves as the international gateway to the nation's capital, the county that speaks your language. We should be advertising the fact that we have highly skilled, highly capable professionals in every field who speak every language. Now, if we're going to advertise ourselves that way, as I will as county executive, it has to be true. So we have to work with our school system to make sure that it is providing superb language education to every student who wants it. If a student wants a language immersion experience, I don't understand how we can tell that student no. We should be designing these programs around the demand for them, not establishing arbitrary limits that when a family wants the most rigorous curriculum for its child, we're turning them down, and that happens far too many times. So I don't get, as county executive, to tell the school system what to do. They don't have to do what I want them to do. And so it takes a collaborative approach. It will take positive pressure, praising the school system at all times because there's so much to praise, but we can do a better job. And we can provide more specialty curriculum. We can provide more opportunities for students to pursue their passion within the public school system. And if we do that, if we provide not only more language academies in a wide range of um, economically significant uh, languages of opportunity, Chinese first and foremost, but also 
Arabic and Hebrew and, um, you know, Portuguese and Russian and um, languages that will enable us to access the growing economies of the world and be involved in export-import, be involved in technology transfer, be involved in scientific exchange with people around the world. Um, but also not just language, but also math and science, also coding, also robotics, also ballet, arts and humanities, culinary academies. There's so many things that, and, and the District of Columbia is doing a better job of this, providing more access to programs that really speak to a student's passion um, and not limiting them according to some arbitrary mm -hmm. uh, rationing scheme. George, uh, of course, the executive position is one where you have to, you know, as the person who sits at the top of the Montgomery County government, they want to know, are you a good manager? I mean, how do you answer that question? And to me, I want to know that you're going to be able to handle these massive complex departments, that you're going to be able to, of course, add your own personal touch on this, this complex budget process. And I, I have looked at the budget, and it, it is very complex. It's, five, what, $5.2 billion? 5.6. Um, or $5.6 billion. Mm -hmm. And I've tried to read the budget, and I mean, I, I think I have a, an above-average understanding of how big budgets work, but nonetheless, nonetheless, this is just huge. And I think, you know, as you move in the transition, it's, you know, George Leventhal is elected county executive, you know, Ike Leggett leaves. They want it. We want to know that we're going to have a sense of stability moving forward. I mean, it's, I, I think that that is a major concern for all residents, no matter who is the next county executive. Is the transition going to be smooth? And in part, what's the vision? What is the what is the grandiose vision in the next four years, George, that is going to separate us from other counties around the state of Maryland? So can you speak to that, to your managerial uh, capabilities? Um, and sure. as you, so, yeah, let's talk about that. Sure. Well, my vision is government that works for you, gets results, and a culture of customer service. And that's what my county council office has tried to provide. And I have a very good reputation. People know that I'm the council member who answers your phone call. I'm the council member who responds to your email. And I want to extend that culture of customer service throughout county government. 16 years on county council, I've worked on 16 budgets. I've gone line by line through every departmental budget. I understand the mission of every department. I know who to call. I understand the relationships between those elements of county government, which are under the direct supervision of the county executive, and the very large agencies like the school system, park and planning, the, the water utility, WSSC, that are not. And, and I understand how the players work in those institutions and, again, who to call. So the transition, if I'm elected, will be very smooth and very quick because um, I understand the big issues. I understand the big challenges. I've been working on them for 16 years. Now, the job of a legislator in the county council, in the legislative branch, is very, very different from the job of chief executive. I've, I've studied the job of chief executive. I am familiar with both the successes and shortcomings of the two county executives who I've worked with. I admired Doug Duncan. I admired Ike Leggett. I've learned a lot from both of them. Both were largely successful. Um, you know, like anyone, both had some shortcomings. And um, I believe I bring that institutional memory, that understanding of the process, uh, knowing who to call to the job. Now, I have not managed an organization of 8,000 people. Um, uh, none of us running has managed anything that large. Um, David Blair's company is not that large. But um, my council office is extremely well run, 
and my staff is the longest serving and most loyal at the county council. My chief of staff, Patty Vitale, is the longest serving chief of staff. Uh, my two legislative analysts have each been with me for over 10 years. Um, so my staff stays with me because we achieve big things and we help people every day. And I've been able to inspire and motivate the people who work with me uh, to serve the public. And that's the ethic that I will bring to the job of county executive. So my knowledge of the departments and their mission, my understanding of the relationships within and between government and quasi-public agencies, so the relationships that I've built over decades with members of our legislative delegation in Annapolis, members of our school board, um, you know, I'm ready to do this job. I understand it very well. And, uh, you know, certainly I don't minimize the fact that it's a different role and it'll be, there will be some learning curve. And, uh, you know, as far as my management skill, um, I'm very confident that, that I can make big things happen as executive just the way I've made big things happen as a council member. So, George, you know, nobody yeah. knows precisely what a new job is going to be like. And there's always at the beginning of a new job, you know, a period of time where it's like, oh, my gosh, what am I doing? But, um, you know, I know where to turn for advice. And uh, and there isn't anyone else in this race who would more comfortably or more quickly make that transition. I have the background. I've been in county government the longest. Um, and I have the, the wide array of relationships. Some people that are going to go vote may have already voted. They are, they may not be as tuned into the race as, of course, you are, who's in the middle of it. Um, you, you know county government better than anyone else I know. And someone like myself, I think I have a good solid grasp on the issues. But Kim and I have friends that don't, you know, our neighbors, let's say, you know, when we're out in the morning picking up our newspaper, you know, and we're taking the kids to the bus stop and we talk to PTA moms, we talk to uh, our neighbors at our, our community or our H HOA pool. And we go up and, you know, we, we might just briefly chat about the issues or they'll see signs in our yard or I'll see another sign in our yard. And they, they don't know the, they, they've never been to a, a, a county council meeting they haven't. They don't volunteer for anything, and that's okay because people are busy. But nonetheless, the the two biggest concerns, George, that I hear is transportation problems being stuck on 270. We live over here in North Potomac, and as you sure. know, a lot of folks take public trans. They either take public transportation or they drive somewhere in the county, and that re and that revolves around taking. 270 might be into this, uh, into Washington, D.C., or into Bethesda. My wife, for example, uh, it takes her for a 12-mile drive in the morning to, to, to downtown Bethesda to her job. takes her an hour some days, George, and um, we're concerned about this the 270 issue. And what can we do, George? What can we do to fix 270 and 495? I'm encouraged that Governor Hogan is paying attention to this issue. For, for quite some time, um, his focus was on the smaller rural counties, and, you know, I give him a lot of credit. I think he's devoted some serious thought to what needs to occur in the largest county in the state. Um, I don't agree that 495 should be widened east of the 270 spur because um, there's just too many homes and businesses in Holy Cross Hospital and Rock Creek Park and Flagler Creek Park and Northwest Branch Park that come right up against 495, but I do think that through innovative engineering, we can add capacity to 495 without widening it. Um, and, and I 
understand the approach that the governor and the secretary Pete Ron, secretary of transportation are saying is that we want to put the idea out there and let the private sector come up with creative approaches to it. And I, I think that's all right. What I, what I regret about um, what Governor Hogan and Secretary Ron are doing in that area is they really have not been consultative with local government. Our input has not really been solicited. Um, I like Secretary Ron. Uh, he, he got caught in um, some conflicts of interest with respect to this big contract, and uh, the winning bidder had to be withdrawn when it turned out that the secretary had actually worked for that company. So that was the optics were bad on that. But um, but Secretary Ron has come to Montgomery County to talk about this, but when he talks about it, it's basically we can't tell you anything until the private sector comes up with its ideas. So we're going to have to see how that works out. It isn't for the county to determine what happens on 270. It's a state project, but the county, I would hope, can weigh in and can have input, and thus far we haven't really had it. Um, 270, I don't object to additional lanes on 270, and I don't object to toll lanes on 270, um, I'd like to see a dedicated transit way if we're going to add lanes. Um, I don't think you need to add a lot of new lanes, and we're all talking about this in the county executive race, because you could have reversible lanes. The, the bulk of the traffic is headed south in the morning and north in the evening, and so you, know, you don't need every lane all the time. Um, you have peak hours in different directions. So uh, you know, I think that there's quite a bit that can be done on 270 to add capacity, and I'm glad that Governor Hogan is focused on that. And Whoever is elected in November, whether it's Governor Hogan or a new governor, um, you know, as county executive, I would certainly want to encourage the governor to focus on capacity on 270. Um, I do think we need more public transportation alternatives to the automobile. Um, I understand individuals will always want to use single-passenger automobiles for certain purposes, but the more people who use public transportation as an alternative, the better it is for those cars that are still on the road because other cars get off the road. Um, the American Legion Bridge needs to be widened, and I support that. Um, so as far as 270 and the American Legion Bridge, um, you know, I think that there's much that can and will be done. I'm optimistic, given Governor Hogan's interest in the issue uh, over the next several years. There's a lot more that we're talking about um, during my first term as county executive. I'm confident that we will bring bus rapid transit online on Route 29 and on Beers Mill Road. Um, and then if Amazon ends up selecting Montgomery County, uh, there's a cornucopia of transportation improvements that the state has promised to pay for, um, but we don't know what's going to happen with Amazon. Let's end on talking about the big fish. And look, I'm not a guy that supports a well, this, you know, we can only put all of our eggs in one basket, Amazon. And I hear some candidates, Amazon is the be all end all. And I like to remind people that, hey, listen, there's a, there's a big possibility that we, might not get Amazon. So let's not right. stake everything on that singular project. It would be great to have Amazon. It, it's going to take a lot of resources. It's going to take a lot of smart people sitting at the table and saying, okay, now that we can get Amazon, here are the improvements that we're going to rely on them to invest in Montgomery County's community. George, what is your grand take on the Amazon project? Well, it would absolutely be a net positive if they select us. It would uh, just the fact that we made it onto the short list speaks very highly of our business climate, very highly of our workforce, very highly of our quality of life, and highly of our transportation network. And I think the fact that we're on the short list also smoothed the way to getting a regional agreement on dedicated funding for Metro, which was desperately needed, but the three jurisdictions couldn't get their act together, and now they have. So even being on the short list has been a positive. Um, if I'm county executive and if we get Amazon, 
I will absolutely monitor extremely carefully the stresses and strains that the new employment and new construction will bring on our roads and public transportation network, on our school system, on the price of housing, but there will be billions of dollars of new revenue coming into the county and state that will enable us to address those challenges while incomes rise, job opportunities increase. Um, you know, we enter a whole new era for Montgomery County of high-tech prosperity. So I hope we get Amazon. Um, if we don't get Amazon, we've still got a lot going for us. We're still, you know, a, a compellingly attractive place to invest and do Yes. George, you still with us? Yeah. Can you hear me? Okay. Yeah. I think we just cut out for a second, but I'm sorry. I am. Did you, what, no, that's the last okay. Thing you heard? No, I, the last, you said that we are a compelling place to invest in and we're looking yeah. at the, and we're, and the white Flint was obviously the, the issue there. Uh, we're hopefully, I, I would imagine that that would be where Amazon would ultimately decide to house their facility and it has been um, widely reported that is the location. Right. Okay. We've talked about a lot tonight, and we've talked about you, your background. We've talked about your experience as a county councilman since 2000, well, first elected in 2002. The final stretch is here. Early voting has begun. Um, I believe tomorrow we're going into the fourth day. It extends until June the 21st, which I believe is this Thursday. And then, of course, the big day is the uh, the 26th, where this will all be decided. And, George, let me ask you this question. It, who, whoever turns out, you know, if you are elected and you get the most number of votes on that day, or if somebody else would happen to, to, to get more votes than you, is all the do you imagine all the candidates will come together and support the Democratic nominee? Well, sure. I mean, I, I would assume so. I can't speak for anyone else. I mean, I've, I've always supported the Democratic nominee. And, you know, the fact that Robin Ficker is the Republican nominee makes that somewhat easier. I, I don't think he's a palatable option for Democratic voters. So, so sure. Yeah, I think we'll – I mean, I really can only speak for myself. I mean, this has been a hard-fought race. Yeah. And uh, there's widely divergent candidates. I mean, the candidates are very different. So um, I, I can't speculate on anyone else, but I've always supported the Democratic nominee. And, okay. I, and I will Fair in enough. Case, whoever that is. <laughs> I, I, can't, I can't thank you enough for doing this on a Sunday night when you're tired. And I'm sure you want to hang out with your kids, but we're in the final stretch. So it means a lot to me. You've done this interview. and we've, we've talked about a lot of important issues. And I think that... Whatever happens in the next four years, I know that we're in good hands, and I believe that we have an incredible opportunity to bring new businesses in our community, grow our tax base, improve our schools, and we have a lot of smart people who live here in Montgomery County and are dedicated. There's many activists that people who may listen to this show or may not, they, they don't see behind the scenes what goes into this. And I, I have to tell you, um, the, the hardest work, the hardest working person um, on any campaign uh, I have ever seen is um, one of your, your campaign aides, Karen Murphy. And I got to give her a big shout out because she is an incredible force, someone who is a, a diehard supporter and would go to the ends of the earth for you. And I just see how positive that she has been in her support 
of helping you out in this race. So, um, and that matters. I mean, there's so many people involved in all kinds of different uh, races and sometimes it's lost touch with people who don't necessarily follow politics that the, the blood, sweat and tears and the late nights, the early mornings, the thousands of phone calls, the thousands of doors that people knock on. This is an incredible community of volunteers. And for that, they should give themselves a pat on the back. I got to tell you. Well, thanks for mentioning Karen Murphy. She has been a great asset to my campaign. I'm very fortunate to have had her working with me. Uh, my longtime campaign director, Jessica Moore, who's running the third campaign for me now, and we're very good friends. And they're both Jessica and Karen are just working around the clock. We have dozens and dozens and dozens of dedicated volunteers who have been manning the early voting locations for me and making phone calls for me and going door to door for me. And I'm just so enormously grateful. And, you know, when my stamina, you know, sometimes flags at the end of a long day, I just think that I've got to keep going because there's just so many people who believe in me. And it's been um, a really powerful experience to, to have so many people and such a wide range of people, people who speak every language and who, you know, worship in every different faith who are putting in just hundreds of hours of time to make me the next Montgomery County executive. It's, it's, um, it's an extraordinary experience to be a candidate and to have people dedicating so much to, to my success because they believe that that translates to the success of our great County. So, um, so I just want to thank everyone who's been helpful to me, uh, who's contributed to the campaign, the hundreds and hundreds of people who contributed and the volunteers who put in the time and made the phone calls and, um, done the work. Um, it's so much bigger just, just than my aspirations and, you know, they, they are enthusiastic about what we're offering. They're enthusiastic about a government that works and gets results and that puts its focus first on those who most need a government on their side, a government that looks out for people in need, the elderly and the disabled and the homeless and the sick. And so um, we, can, we can do that in Montgomery County while still uh, having a thriving economy and prosperity and providing job opportunities for the next generation. Uh, this is a great place to live, but it can be even greater I understand it very, very well. I love this county. I've lived here. Uh, I'm 55 years old. I've lived here for 45 years, and I think it's just getting better and better, and I think our future is bright, and I hope to have well, a chance I wanna... to continue to participate in, in the future of this county. Well, I appreciate that, and I want to mention one more thing, and as an objective observer of all these different races, I will say that there is no one who has worked harder to build inroads in Many of our minority communities, including the Muslim community, including the Chinese American community, um, including the, the well, of course, the Jewish community, and just so many different places that you have gone that is unconventional for candidates to go to, I have seen it. And you know, the African American community is, uh, and all these different minority communities that you have worked with and have made inroads and have had real conversations and have heard their issues. I've seen you do this and it is refreshing because look, I, um, uh, you know, a, a middle-class white guy like myself doesn't always understand different communities. And my, I've had to have many tough conversations with people who say, this is really what's happening inside of our communities. Just sit down and listen and talk to us. And I've made a point to do that. And I've tried to use this show to highlight some of those important issues. And I have to give you major kudos, George, for, for going out and, and, and really focusing on the various uh, Im important issues and what they are saying inside of their community. You've sat down at the table and you've talked to them. And I give you a lot of well, credit. Well, thanks for mentioning that. I mean, I will tell you that most of the people who write about this campaign, whether it's for um, you know professional media 
or for the blogs um, mostly interact with uh, upper middle class and wealthy white people. Now, there's absolutely nothing wrong with upper middle class and wealthy white people. I'm one myself. However, it's a much broader political universe than the small handful of conventional wisdom types uh, who the journalists and bloggers are talking to. They, they're not getting out into the communities, and there are a lot of people who are going to vote, on, uh, who are already voting during early voting and on June 26, who just don't happen to be um, <laughs> uh, fortunate yeah. white people. Now, we're all fortunate to live here, but um, there's a, a, a Montgomery County's got um, a very broad demographic, so I, I appreciate your um, commenting on that, and it's certainly true that it's a great joy to get to know people from many different backgrounds, to worship in the many different houses of faith around this county. I, I've, uh, I've been so elevated, and, and um, you know, it's honestly made me a better person the amount of time I've spent in the churches and mosques and synagogues, um, you know, really sharing a spiritual understanding with my constituents. It's been, uh, it's been the best part of my job. So, um, so you know, I, I, it's, it's made me a better person. I've enjoyed it. Of course, I hope it pays off politically. I've met a lot of people. I can't tell you how often, you know, I'm campaigning at a metro or going door to door or at an event and somebody comes up to me and says, oh, I know you. You came to my church or, you know, I saw you in my synagogue. Um, that matters. I mean, that's going to translate into votes. So, uh, you know, I, I, of course, I'm, I'm trying not to read too much of the blogs because it makes my blood pressure go up. But, you know, I, I understand that um, – <laughs> Uh, you know, look, I understand that if you get the Washington Post endorsement, as David Blair has, or if you get the Teachers Union endorsement, as Mark Elrich has, you're perceived as a likely winner. Um, the history in recent elections has been that neither the Washington Post nor the Teachers Union are really predictive of who wins elections in this county. Um, they're important. I sought both of their endorsements. I would have been delighted to get them. I didn't get them. I've gotten other endorsements. But neither one has really been predictive in big races recently. We have smart voters. They decide for themselves. They assess the many different qualities of the candidates. And there are a whole lot more voters than just the wealthy white people who, um, you know, tend to, to uh, communicate with the reporters and the bloggers. So, so I it's think true. this race is wide open. I don't know who's going to win. Um, I'm feeling good. I'm getting great feedback, uh, you know, during early voting. <laughs> many, many, many people are telling me they're voting for me. I'm sure other candidates are hearing that too. Um, so we'll just uh, keep our fingers crossed and work our hearts out for the next nine days and try to earn the voters' confidence. That's what I'm trying to do. I can't work any harder, I'll tell you that. Well, I agree with that, And I like Georgia. the campaign that we've run. We've run a good, honest, upfront campaign uh, with integrity and, uh, and a sense of humor, and, uh, and I think people appreciate that. I agree. I love the Avengers ad. It's the greatest political ad in the history of politics. I hate all I hate most ads. Really I do. I think that they're boring. I think they're conventional. There has been no funnier and more clever ad ever produced I've ever seen except for maybe one. It was way back when a guy was running for like the Alabama land commissioner and he he it was but incomparable to what you have done with the Avengers ad. It was funny, it was clever, it was positive, and it made me chuckle. And those are the best kind of political ads, not these boring ads. And I can't, I hate attack ads, to be honest with you. I think that I just, I, I hate negative campaigning. Maybe it'll work, maybe it doesn't, I don't know. Your Avengers ad, George, I know you got a lot of play out of that. It was so fun, it was great. And uh, mm -hmm. so 
Yeah, so I'm glad I, you enjoyed I, it. And, you know, whatever is the result of negative ads, you know, once uh, Mr. Blair got the Washington Post endorsement and Mr. Elrich, who, you know, has gotten all of these labor union endorsements, um, they are both – their negatives are both going to rise. Um, they're both going to be the target over the course of the next nine days of, you know, criticism and and some attacks, and we've seen that. And um, And I like where I'm at. You know, I like where I'm positioned. Um, I've run a very positive campaign. And, uh, you know, as some, you know, as Mr. Blair's, you know, as voters really focus on do they want Mr. Blair, do they want Mr. Elrich, do they want some of the other candidates, uh, what I'm hearing is more and more voters are saying, hey, how about Leventhal? You know, I like the guy. He he seems like he can do the job. So, um, So I'm optimistic about the outcome. I'm optimistic about the future. I think you're a fundamentally decent guy. You're you, like you, like I said, great sense of humor. I'm glad you're running, George, and I'm glad that you're putting all these important issues in front of us to think about. Uh, you've explained the issues in a way that help, has helped me to become a better citizen. So with that, I want to say thanks for doing this on Sunday night. And uh, nine days left. I know you're going to give it your all. Um, and thank you for running, George. I mean that. Sincerely. Thank you, Ryan. Great to talk to you. Uh, I enjoy I always enjoy our conversations, and please give my best to Kim. As well. All right. Thank you, and uh, George, have a great night. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye-bye. All right, friends. That was Montgomery County Councilman George Leventhal. He's running for Montgomery County Executive. And with that, have a great week. Get out and vote. If you don't know where your voting station is, um, I'm sure there's a website. I just don't know it, but uh, I think Montgomery County has like eight or ten. It's huge. Um, we voted today at the Potomac Community Center, and uh, <laughs> it was really funny. I met uh, Andrew Friedson's mother, who who very nicely greeted us and said hello and asked if we would be interested in voting for his son. However, I am an independent, so um, the only only race that I could vote for was the Board of Education, and I, de- and I indeed did that. So with that, I appreciate you listening, and I don't know who my guest will be next week, but it will be someone who is running for something, I can tell you that. Have a great week, everybody, and as I said, get out there and vote. June 21st is when early voting ends, and June 26th is Election Day. <laughs> <laughs>